oh, by the way, if they really want to change the rules of a particular DeFi protocol, well, that's going to happen in an open source world. You fork that. And that's the beauty of these systems that they're self-ordering. And if, if there is some form of coercion or forced hand and, or wrong or a bad actor, then very quickly liquidity migrates at the speed of light and so do users and so does code. And that is incredibly powerful because it keeps the system in check. Hey everyone, welcome back to the debate series. I think Model that's your name. Club. Yeah, I'm here with Ryan, Cynthia, myself. We're here to chat. Uh, we're going to start off with the ETF status and what's going on there. Ryan, why don't you take us away and start us off? Well, uh, I mean, you, you you being in America probably have a a, a deeper understanding and are, are even more excited. I do, but I wasn't ready. So <laughs> yeah, so more excited for this than I am. But long story short, um, you know, it does appear that BlackRock and potentially others are starting to populate what will eventually be an ETF. Um, IBTC uh, has shown up on some some BlackRock um, websites, and uh, it, it you know it looks like it's only a matter of time, and that time is likely measured in months and not years. Um, it's interesting that Bitcoiners have been waiting for essentially decades now, or at least a decade, for two things: an ETF, a Bitcoin ETF. And for kind of global destabilization um, across macro markets, and both of those seem to be happening at the same time. So we see Bitcoin kind of leading this rally, um, uh, although I think there's a lot of excitement across the space about a pending ETH ETF right on the heels of, of, of Bitcoin and and what it'll mean broadly for for crypto assets. Um, so, what are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, I don't want to mid-curve it. I think it is hugely impactful. Like a lot of things, so difficult to understand what the impact will be in, in months, but measured in 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 years, I, I think it is incredibly, incredibly positive for the space. It removes so much friction. It legitimizes access to it. And also it gives people a product to sell. You know, all these registered investment advisors and financial guys like there's just another thing that they sell from a portfolio diversification standpoint. And, you know, I think that's incredibly positive. Um, the folks at um, Bitwise, Matt, I think, put a great chart of what gold did after an ETF approval. And and if you look at that, I think, you know, you could, it, it may not be one-to-one. -one, it might not, because, you know, we were in a tough macro, you know, maybe higher for longer interest rate environment. People are risk off, but still, I think in a matter in in a year in you know, five ten year horizon, this is going to be a huge catalyst. Probably one of the more important in the last five years. I mean, we've but Ryan, you know, people have been trying to get an ETF approved in crypto f since forever, forever. Michael yeah. Voss twins, twenty thirteen, right? Exactly, it's been like ten true. years. Yeah, I think the the most interesting thing to me was I had Hal Press, uh, Scott Johnson, James on on the Delphi pod a couple of weeks ago to chat the ETF side. And it was a very different environment just a couple of weeks ago. And it seems like now that Grayscale won their case against the SEC, I think we're starting to see glimmers that the SEC is sort of caved in or, or kind of agreed that this is a reality, right? And one of the key points there is Scott called out that Grayscale doesn't have to refile this 19B-4 doc, um, since they filed their S3 a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago, which is kind of like a technical thing, but I think it kind of means that this stuff is sort of in the bag, right? I think, and then what does that mean? It just means, you know, we have an SEC that sort of, it seems like has to approve the ETS at this point. Yeah. The big question that I have is, will they approve the, the grayscale uh, or grayscale as an ETF, especially with the uh, New York Attorney General um, case against Grayscale, or will they go sort of blue chip and and kind of throw crypto a bone by approving one of like you know the sanctioned overlords of America uh, in BlackRock, and how does that play out for for the space? 
I'm of the mind that, you know, the original sort of pitch that a lot of us used in kind of the like 16, 17, 18 era was that by 2025 or so, no self-respecting family office or institutional uh, investment portfolio on the planet would be without one to two percent exposure to a crypto. And I think that this is sort of like the last domino in that happening. The, the amount of capital onboarding that will happen through this is going to be huge. And the impact for something like ETH, which is even lower liquidity than, than Bitcoin, is going to be a multiple of what we're going to see for Bitcoin. Because remember, you know, it doesn't take two times capital to double the, the valuation. It takes probably somewhere around 10% of, of capital inflow in order to double the valuation, maybe even less because so many coins have actually been lost. And ETFs have to populate with the physical, right? So, you know, uh, a $100 billion ETF will need to have $100 billion of the given asset and they have to buy that and, and custody it and, you know, third party and so on and so forth. And so I'm of the opinion that we could be, you know, months away from from really significant order of magnitude gains in in blue chip assets in crypto because of of the fact that these guys have to populate and they got to buy, you know, the forty percent of Bitcoin that still hasn't been lost on hard drives or spent on pizza. Right. The interesting uh, that's a great point, Ryan. The interesting thing now is particularly something like ETH, like in a proof of stake network, where the availability of coins, well, two things come to mind. One, not only the liquidity, but the availability of said coins. I mean, if, if most of ETH is being staked, then it really reduces the coins in circulation. And so it, it creates a, even more of a like reflexive dynamic. Yeah. The other one is, are these ETFs going to offer and pass through staking rewards if they are staking the coins. And if they're not staking, then that's actually pretty positive for the folks that are because the yield is higher. Because then all of a sudden you have maybe 20, whatever percentage of all ETH that will be held by this ETFs. If they're not being staked, then that is pretty positive for folks that are staking because the staking yield goes higher. And so you enter this reflexive loop um, that is is very interesting. Now, the third thing is if you have an ETF that also passes through some of the staking rewards, that's like a REIT. I mean, that's just a technology upside with dividend component to it. I mean, the market hasn't it hasn't seen that product. You know, you don't you don't have a tech ETF giving you a dividend. By the way, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I'll tell you why. Because they have to use third-party qualified custodians, uh, so like you know a Jane Street or or some you know it'll end up being Anchor or somebody else like that. But there will be a really long dearth before they get smart on staking or yielding on top of the asset. And so for those of us who who are 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 staking, good. Those of us who are yielding and outperforming staking, even better. Because there's going to be less capital available uh, to to support that, um, and so I think I think it's going to be a, an amazing opportunity to really outperform the static ETFs by having compelling yield. Ryan, what if the qualified custodian offers staking though? Like, what if an Anchorage or a BitGo? I mean, because yep. you're not violating the qualified custodian rule, but you are staking. But do you, are are you aware of any? Um, SEC approved uh, qualified uh, custodian or um, uh, or other that you know that does offer staking on top of their their uh, their custody. Yeah, not here. I'm Only not. in Canada. And F three IQ yeah. does it for their ETF. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's it, right? Like these guys are going to be getting inflated away. It's kind of new new money. Yeah, effectively, you know, not being smart money yet, um, coming into a space that's the natural evolution, they will get smart. And then you're going to have to, as capital allocators, you're going to have to be doing something better than than holding ETH, staking it and taking 220 from your LPs 
uh, uh, but and that's why I think like the the value will accrue to those who are are yielding in a compelling fashion, outperforming uh, staking, which I'm super excited. Couldn't be more excited about what the the dual impact that this is going to have of like a filtering uh, and kind of leaving an upper crust of high quality asset managers along with just booing asset prices in a way that I, you know, we've never seen any event like this in space. No. I want to clarify one thing and then ask you both question. One is the conversion of a grayscale. So grayscale is actually not impacted from the lawsuit. That is at the DCG level and grayscale is kind of cornered off. Does it have a marginal impact soft? I mean, there's two process. So technically no, but personally I would want a blue chip in a best case scenario I would perhaps want BlackRock to go first because it's just gold standard. Um, my question to you guys is, so you have $100. You have the option to buy the ETF, Coinbase stock, or Bitcoin and ETH, maybe Solana or something else, like liquid tokens. How do you allocate that? So if I'm playing the long game, which I'd probably be if I'm buying Bitcoin or ETH, the long game that comes into play is control over my assets and long-term taxes. So I would want to hold the BTC and ETH. I'd want to stake the ETH and I'd want to custody it myself. That'd be my pick. When you talk about taxes, why not Roth RIA put that ETF in there? Yeah, that could solve it. Woo. Or Coinbase. Woo. I mean, I'm just saying like, yeah, this I mean, is what GBTC yeah. and ETH. I'm American. <laughs> Ryan, how is it that no, Ryan, like I'm not a work accountant, but Ryan and I are not in the U.S., my man. Like, we're, <laughs> yeah, but and somehow here the, 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 the question. It, this is the family feud answer. It's like what outperforms. Yeah. Uh, so something comes to mind that's a good reference for many people. Uh, in 2017, the Economist did a global case study inviting uh, thousands of of um, of students to to participate in this case study of what would be the best portfolio mix and the global average if you believe in the wisdom of the crowd as i do the global average incidentally came up to two-thirds bitcoin one-thirtieth um is the like optimal crypto strategy for that time noting that this was you know mid 2017 and there weren't very many other options so um i'd say the smart money the smart money is the inverse of that two-thirds eth one-third bitcoin which is um which is what we use as our internal benchmark um, here at Dialectic. That's what we call it the Dialectic in Index, two-thirds ETH, one-third one Bitcoin. That's what we're trying to outperform. What I would do myself is I would buy uh, ETH and I would yield with that ETH compounding ETH. And that's because um, ultimately it's the highest quality asset in space that we see today. The, you know, the developer mindshare, uh, the sinkhole of both capital in other layer twos and and new layer ones that connect natively with ETH, there's a sinkhole of capital, both both mindshare capital as well as as, as a financial capital there in ETH. And so I think that ETH will outperform Bitcoin for that reason. And then the other reason, all that ETH needs to do to triple or to double is kind of like ten billion dollars. So like a little bit of money flowing in, and you get a doubling. And another and you know, and there's a lot of doublings that can occur be, you know, over the course of flowing in a hundred billion dollars for Bitcoin to double, it kind of needs a hundred billion or, or at least sort of 60 billion flow. That's a lot of money to, to mobilize. And so I think, you know, Bitcoin's going to hit hundred K, but ETH, that means that ETH is going to be at 16 to 20 K. So who cares? You've outperformed Bitcoin substantially by being all in ETH. And that's, that's the way I, I play. There's other assets that I would hold long tail and, and, and diversification. Yeah, because the same dynamic you could argue yeah. around what is ETH to Bitcoin, Solana may be to ETH, an L2 might be to ETH, Solana might be to an L2, which we'll get into that discussion yeah. next. I guess I would, similar to you, Ryan, I would largely be like 60 to 70% ETH and a combination of that through staking it and, and you know, not all of it's staking, you know, I don't think I would have an ETF. It doesn't make sense for me. I just think that's a positive catalyst, but I wouldn't do it. You would do it, the ETF, if you don't want to deal with custody and 
if you may want to use it in a tax efficient manner or or get it a count as collateral in the TradFi portfolio. So that might be kind of the only consideration. Um, I followed and, the rules too closely. I thought the self custody option was fifty fifty Bitcoin ETH, but that makes no. Sense. I, I and I I don't see much reason to hold Bitcoin candidly. Only if your time horizon is measured in less than a year, if you think that the ETF for Bitcoin gets approved and then the, the ETF for ETH probably takes another six months to a year. But if that, you could, I think we all hear an agreement that the, the ET, we will see an ETF of ETH come in short order, measured to your point, Ryan, in months after the Bitcoin ETF. And so the capital inflow to ETH and I'm I'm going back to my conversations um, while I was a parafide, like the capital, like to your like if if a hundred dollars were to flow into the space for such a long time, it was like ninety nine to hundred dollars would go into Bitcoin at the institutional level, and then they would take months or years to study the space, and then they would allocate some in Ethereum, and then Solano and and Venture. Towards the end of the cycle. You most of my conversations with a lot of hedge funds, tigers of the world was like, don't even talk to me about Bitcoin. I'm interested in Ethereum because I'm a venture, I'm a tech investor, and Bitcoin is not that, but Ethereum is and Solana is. And so I, I think my my biggest I think insight there, and I think it will be true, is when people are willing to, you know, take more risk, um, they may leapfrog that Bitcoin to ETH step. They might just go directly to ETH, and I think, you know, for that reason, I, I'm much more. I, I just don't see a reason to hold Bitcoin other than like playing timing game. On. I just, I just think the sell is so easy. For like, you know, if you're on Wall Street, to Ryan's point or, or your point earlier, Santi, and you say, "Hey, look, you're getting something that's has way more of a tech ecosystem. It's a yielding asset, and like the sell isn't that hard. Like, it's I think it's pretty easy at that point for Bitcoin." Yeah, it's a technology bet with some yield. Like it's it's huge. Yeah, it has to be sold to like a thoughtful, curious individual who like cares about something conceptual, like a smart contract. I have underestimated the value of Bitcoin's brand over the years. Uh, you know, I've been on record in twenty every year from twenty seventeen on saying that Ethereum would flip Bitcoin, uh, and I like. I think next year it, it very very well may, but uh, I've been wrong the entire time, and it usually comes back to that that global brand that it has. That it's like the first thing people think of the fact that it's a digital pet rock and doesn't offer anything more compelling than just custody um, hasn't seemed to bother that many people. I've been surprised at its resilience, the honey badger. I was going to say younger generations, like Ryan, to your point, if you extend this to five ten years. The addressable market for Ethereum is way larger than Bitcoin oh, because it touches the internet. Like the internet's vastly larger than the market size for gold. I mean, you're like, you know, like the funnel for getting someone interested in holding and investing in ETH is like everyone that's young and cares about gaming, NFTs, the internet versus gold is just a little, will be more niche, I think. What do you guys think happens post ETF? Like, let's walk down that path. Like, ETFs are everywhere market caps are way up there's an aura of acceptance like what what are the second order effects of that outside of price like does wall street and web2 companies now control more of the decision making like yeah i'm trying to think through like the bad parts of a lot of the old world owning new world assets if there are any i mean i kind of just accept it as like the natural evolution of things and it the world is not just going to let like you know a band of 800 of us who happen to be at some conferences in the early 2010s just become like super lord overtures of the planet multi-trillionaires so like the more that it's spread across the traditional wealth probably the better it is for us in the end um how do you think decision making pans out there then like for ethereum like who's making the decisions five years from now core protocol upgrades like Obviously, there's the idea of like rough social consensus, but we all know that in reality, it comes down to like a core group of developers. Like, will Fidelity have developers? Will BlackRock? Will a nation? Like, well, Fidelity does, right? Fidelity's super smart. 
I mean, they're they've been they've been in it for as long. They're OG as it comes in the game, uh, and and also making like technical contributions. I think Fidelity developers have made contributions to the Bitcoin code base, and and certainly to to a range of things in Gath and and what have you. So, um, yeah, this is the thing: is like these guys have been around the whole time. Uh, a lot of a lot of these large um you know large capital players have have quietly been here and i think this is what we're seeing like this run correct me if i'm wrong but the run from kind of 27k in bitcoin up to 35 and in eth uh it, you know it, eth running from 15 and change up to 19 and solana running from 20 to 30 that feels like that's all etf driven which makes me wonder is there also a Solana ETF on the horizon? Like, could that be the third, the third one to go? And does that make sense? And is that the right step for the ecosystem? Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys have opinions on that. Well, Tom, I want to, I think your question around how decision-making changes once you have traditional finance players, like I actually, let me put it in a different context, like, do you fundamentally believe that the people running these companies are evil or different than a lot of the people that are in crypto? And I don't think the answer is yes. And largely, I think people change depending on what system they're under. And for instance, I grew up in Mexico and we had a lot of Canadian and American teachers come down and they quickly outside the school, there were these cops that would stand and they would always pull you over to give you a ticket, but they would never give you a ticket. You would just kind of, they would have expected them to give you like, you would give them 20 bucks and they would let you go. And a lot of the American and Canadian teachers initially resisted that. And then months in, they kind of understood how the system worked and they quickly just gave them 20 bucks because it was easier to give them 20 bucks and, 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 and go as opposed to getting a ticket and, you know, losing so much time. It's not to say that like, you know I mean? What I'm saying is people really change under the system and the regime that they're under. And I think if you believe that the rules of crypto are really sound uh, and are better than the traditional system and the incentives are much better, then, then that's it. Like you don't have to believe anything else. I think that's what makes crypto such a sound system. Now, if the assumptions are faulty or if there's a governance surface area vector that might be exploited. Well, that's going to be exploited anyways. You don't like whether it's from traditional, you know, traditional finance guys or not, like you have an SBF guy that come in and, and, you know, run circles around a lot of crypto natives. So I'm actually, I, I think it's hugely positive. If, if anything, they might bring like some excellence in areas where crypto has been kind of not so strong on and this idea of trying to like reinvent the wheel on everything. Whereas you know, maybe DAO and corporate governance like actually becomes a much more um, sound thing because you have actually professional players. Maybe you need Apollo and KKR credit teams as opposed to Maple Finance guys underwriting, you know, for tokenization work. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, Santi, but the one thing I would disagree with you on is like in the scenario where you have a bunch of Wall Street bankers, analysts, et cetera, trying to make proxy decisions of in their own world and apply that to crypto. A lot of the meta or subconscious things that you and I and Ryan and others are okay with, they will not agree with. Like, let's go through a couple examples. Like, yeah. what's the worst thing about adding KYC? Let's just add it to everything. We're used to that. We work at a bank. Like, why, what's wrong with private order flow? Let's just add that in. Like, who cares? Like, I don't necessarily think that they'll have the same decision-making that we would have. But like you and I, there are, can we acknowledge that there are people in crypto today that are not in alignment with this circle? Like the, the, the thing that makes crypto so unique is that you sort of assume that everyone's going to act in their self best interest, but somehow the system works. Yeah. And the and, market and, decides. And, and the market decides. And so, Oh, by the way, if they really want to change the rules of a particular DeFi protocol, well, that's going to happen in an open source world. You fork that. And that's the beauty of these systems that they're self-ordering. And if, if there is some form of coercion or forced hand and or wrong 
or a bad actor, then very quickly liquidity migrates at the speed of light and so do users and so does code. And that is incredibly powerful because it keeps the system in check. And I think if you believe that, then it doesn't worry me who comes into the space. I sort of already assumed that there's a mixed bag of people in crypto. Yeah. And but the system works. And that's like a feature, not a bug. 100%. Yeah. The, I am excited for the the business side of Wall Street to come into crypto. Like the CEOs, the sales guys, the operations teams, like the buttoned up processes, like the polishing, like that is the stuff I am excited about. And hopefully some activists to uh to target the massive unused DAOs that Ryan's always talking about. I can't wait for Bill Ackman to Bill Ackman or uh, Soros to go knocking on the Gnosis or Block One door. <laughs> Tezos. Honestly, that would that would be that would be fantastic. Oh right? god. If some if, Is if there someone any would route he could do open it to that. Sorry? Like let's say Bill Ackman wanted to go after a giant treasury like that. Sure. Is there Tezos anything he could do? or any any other of these like massive what do, they do though like what's what's the route like it's just like so w w what you would do is you would buy up you'd, you'd buy up some of the token and then you'd start a uh, a campaign in fact we got dean and i at one time thought about doing this and and we we did it somewhat successfully with the digix staff we just sat down with sean we we're like look you got all this money in the treasury you're the biggest token holder like why not vote to dissolve the 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 dow and 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 pay out the token holders and they're like you know what yeah <laughs> right and they did it and they made a lot of money and they deserved it because they they were buying tokens and we you know and, and and we were fortunate to have some tokens at that time as well and that was an accredited trade i wish more we talked to a couple other DAOs, and i wish more would have done it but too many of them we saw right away that most of them just looked at this as a giant uh trust fund for the core group forever and uh it, the problem is that you don't have actual legal rights of a of a shareholder um because if you did ackman would already be here mopping up folks here in zoog left right and center um <laughs> yeah and they're, they're, yeah i mean they're, they're, talk about things that are overlooked but look there are some protocols right now where the value of their treasury is higher than the market cap of the token Tons. or 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 like really close and there have been instances where the core team has looked at that and then they buy a bunch of the tokens and then just like dissolve it and it's uh a lot of people don't pay attention to that and that's that's totally like that's a totally legitimate i actually think that that's much more ethical than just sitting on it paying each other 500k salaries till hell freezes over Right, right, right. You know that that other people in the market can participate in these calls and make a judgment of like, okay, is this thing moving towards dissolution? Should I start to take a position? I think that that would be a really like great cleaning in in our market. There's way too much money locked up in foundations sitting in T bills, and not enough returned back to investors who took risks to to build ambitious projects that didn't work out and that's fine but like return the capital that's that's there right um i think like you need a big social group for that like you need a group on twitter like causing real social pressure on these founders publicly to do that yeah and like we have a couple like activist funds or you know around the space but if there was a coordinated social effort to pressure the treasuries into doing so and getting all of their various stakeholders involved in whatever role that they have within that project, I think that would work. But yeah. the the Link Marine Link Marine Raiders or something like that, <laughs> Link Marine Treasury Raiders. <laughs> That's a heck of a name for a fund, by the way. I might go by that domain, Link Marine Raider. Let's uh, let's switch gears and and and. A chat Solana versus sort of like the evolution of other L2s and L1s. I guess to sort of contextualize, you know, I'm I'm looking at at the the scope of tokens out there. You know, the the blue chips and ETH and, and Bitcoin aside, and trying to think through like, you know, 
where value will accrue in this next cycle. And certainly there's a lot of really solid work being done in the Solana ecosystem. And there's some interesting technical advantages that Solana has, but also some interesting disadvantages that they seem not to really get over. Like, you know, liveness continues to be a problem in year, what now close to four. Um, and, and they're kind of the, the, one of the highest quality of what I would call generation two smart contract scripting platforms, right? You had gen one with Ethereum, Gen 2, which is kind of this ETH killers, you know, Polkadot, Solana, Definity, Cardano, Avalanche, so on and so forth. And then you have a Gen 3 that's coming out, Celestia, um, Fuel, Wormhole, um, uh, you know, a, a range of others that blur the lines to L2s. And, you know, this generation of L2s with Optimism, Polygon, Arbitrum, so on and so forth. And these there's there sort of isn't a clear line where l2 and these gen 3 l1s cut off like is celestian l2 is it an l1 you kind of don't really know it 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 works natively out of the box with ethereum um and you know is value going to accrue to these alt l1s that are trying to be the capital sinkhole or is more value going to be captured by these these protocols that are ultimately accruing value to ethereum um, and how are you guys thinking through that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll jump in first. I, I think it's a great question, Ryan. I think the way I think about it is like three broad buckets. And I think Kyle from Multicoin had a really good post on this on the end goal of the L1 or L2 should be serving the developers, right? Like that's where, because then they bring the customers, they bring the scale. So my mental model has always been Ethereum has the most mind share. It's where everything's happening. And if we go to the extreme on the left, we have something like Cosmos where you can build your own app, you can make consensus level edits, and that has proven successful, right? You have Akash there, you have DYDX chain moving there for their perps, you have Thor chain, like massive projects that are that are big and doing well. And then if you go to the right of Ethereum, you get you know a, a much more centralized experience where eventually Solana's nodes will be the size of data centers, right? Which is fine. That's the path they're going down. And you get something that's the best single stored global state, right? You don't have to worry about making all these edits. You don't have to worry about rolling your own chain. You don't have to worry about composability. You don't have to worry about anything like that. Um, so the thing that I'm weighing is, do people, will developers eventually just get burnt out with the L2 scaling plan on Ethereum, right? Will they get tired of weighing 10 ZK projects and five rollups and, you know, rolling down to Celestia or Eigenlayer. Disclosure, we're investors. We love them both. Um, and will they eventually go over to a Solana where they don't have to worry about all that stuff? They just worry about their app, right? Um, or will they need that Cosmos level functionality and changes on Ethereum while tapping into Ethereum's liquidity, right? So you could have the Cosmos vision on ETH. So yeah, I'm, I'm sort of stuck, right? I, you you told me early on in my career ride not to be too binary and, and here we are, but I'm I'm kind of stuck between the Cosmos vision playing out on ETH while understanding that it's a technical hurdle for developers to deal with, and the idea of just deploying on something like Solana. Um, but sorry for the rant. <laughs> no, that's great. You know, I I don't know. I I tend to think more of like on a consensus basis. I think Solana has been. What is most interesting to me is that the ethos of the team and the community is is quite unique. I think what made Ethereum great and what was most interesting for me at a time when it was only Bitcoin was this idea that there's more like intellectual curiosity within the Ethereum community and this idea that we don't know everything. We will have to build it as we go. Um, and I think that's what kept Ethereum what it it has led it to be what it is today. I think there are some factions within the Ethereum community that have really become more rigid in their thinking. And look, rightfully so, it's matured. It pulled off a dramatic transition proof of stake, which archaeologically might be one of the most important so like social phenomenons of of, of the human race. Like just this idea of coordination at scale, I think will go down in history books as something like incredible. Now, what I really find interesting from Solana is that 
it's very much differentiated from all the other competing L1s. It's sort of like lateral. It says, hey, we're, we're willing to take a lot of the critique and be open. Like you look at Anatoly and I think he strikes me as, I've interviewed him multiple times. I've had the good fortune of seeing him like in the fire, like being criticized so much and accepting it and saying, you know, he got criticism on the gas fee model and then he, he took that and he optimized it and actually did an improvement to the Solana ecosystem. And the way they price gas is vastly superior than how um, Ethereum does it. And I think that level of thinking is will, like, reward, like um, what I'm trying to say is that will is shown up and will continue. If I were to place a bet on Solana, it's on that. In a similar manner that I placed that bet on Ethereum early on. And I've been very impressed also, just like a phoenix rising from the ashes, this post-SBF FTX kind of, SBF FTX kind of association really hurt them. I think a lot of people turned their back on them. And my thesis back then was, if they come out of this, they're going to come out of it way stronger. And I think that's what you're seeing right now play out. Uh, is it perfect? No, Ethereum's not perfect. Bitcoin's not perfect. Nothing is perfect. But I think the, the like, the Solana phone is something that I, you know, we could, you could argue that it's an interesting experiment, but look, are it's they like Google, doing that? They're not they, they are doing that. I, no. I think, is, is, is it a good thing? Is it going to work out? I think they're like super no. being actually, you, you, they'll, they'll be the first ones to tell you that they're being super conservative in the, in what they're expecting out of this pilot. But it's like Google brain, you know, it's like, it, this is like their skunks work kind of operation and i actually find it like really interesting that that is interesting because if they you know if they're still spending capital on something like the phone then i'm actually that actually increases my skepticism that the 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 sort of double-edged sword with solana to your point i think you hit the nail on the head was it they've been such a great open community and they've done like so much bridge building, right? Like the idea to just go out and, and sell early stage SAFs to basically every VC in the market, um, you know, kind of like a angel check and just get so many people in the community, I thought was really brilliant. And they've done these types of moves to like bring people in uh, over time, but post the trust breaking moment, of FTX, which broke trust across that ecosystem, there would need to be a galvanization, which to your point, and you're closer to it than I, I am, that there appears to be going through of like focus on, you know, the advantages that they have and just like being a, a great developer experience and, and, and so on and so forth. If they're still doing things like a phone and, and like stores in New York malls and things like that, then I would say that that demonstrates a lack of focus from a core team that would be concerning at this juncture. They should be laser focused at, at this point. And my, my big question here is, you know, the mistakes that were made that burned billions and billions of dollars of capital, one of which is, you know, the token distribution model early on where a lot of it is distributed to a few VCs, um, the the you know the other being obviously the the relationship with SBF and and a few other things along the way. Can they recoup that uh, faster than another you know brand new chain that has superior technology in this generation like now uh, gets traction right? And so does Gen three chains, whichever one you're excited about, you know, Eigenlayer, Celestia, Fuel, any any of them, do they get traction faster than Solana recoups traction? Uh, my, my bet is that the Gen 3 eats the lunch of Gen 2, broadly, that the whole class of ETH killers have a strong uphill battle, um, mostly because they don't have the dry powder because they've distributed too much of their token too early. Uh, and that's going to be a lesson over the long term that you know, your distribution curves need to, to be very gradual and very long sweeping. And this whole giving a whole, you know, giving 20% out of the network in the first 24 months is a terrible idea, even though it looks, look, looks good to, to some people. Um, 
And and that's kind of the the side I'm taking is that this this next generation actually learns the lessons of the previous generation and it's sort of cleaner slate that that people can then build on and that's interesting and that is an easier platform for building than trying to recoup what's lost and the lack of focus shows that gen 2 is is not on target if um if that's still where they are spending scarce resources at this point. yeah I, th I think that i think the focus thing is important i i don't think the phone or the stores are that much of a focus anymore i was at I was in Wynwood in Miami, and I saw the uh, the Solana store that they used to have, and I don't think it's open anymore. I I don't know. I think so. I don't know. I, I don't have complete views here either, or, or maybe not as complete as you, Ryan. But I think Solana is getting a lot of traction, and I think that they are successfully reversing the trust that was lost in FTX. I mean, these guys are. I mean, the developer interest around Breakpoint right now is ridiculous i mean the number of people going to that the number of projects presenting i mean couple that with like some serious technical improvements whether you're talking about like fire dancer or tiny dancer or Gito disclosure portfolio company um we're talking about like the isolated fee markets that santi is talking about like that's all happening without the gen threes ever being launched yet like you can't use Eigen DA to use to launch a rollup yet, right? I love Eigenlayer. I'm just saying, like, it's not a possibility yet, right? A lot of the ZK projects, whether EVMs or whether ZKVMs, like, you can't really use them. You can't do any sort of composability whatsoever. So I'm very bullish on what's being built on ETH2, but I'm not being mutually exclusive with the Solana story given I think their developer progress has been pretty strong. But again, I'm not our Solana expert. <laughs> but, oh, I, well, I mean, um, you know, you follow closer than I do. And so that's interesting that your feedback from both of you is there is really a lot of like organic strength. I, in that oh, yeah, I yeah, think that, yeah, there's a there's a lot of organic strength. I mean, Anatoly is the most likable founder in crypto, which is a huge advantage. <laughs> that happens. You know, the, guy gets, the guy gets punched by all sides and everyone in the Ethereum community. And he is one where he says hey you're right on some things like he he's super humble and he he understands like it's not a perfect design um i think technically they might be one of the strongest i mean his background coming from i think he was at cisco and like doing distributed systems there and like hardware guys well so i think they just think very different than most other l1 founders that are just forking ethereum and just maybe doing some marginal improvements and dressing it up and actually being way more uh um you know, way more aggressive on their token distribution to attract from a business development standpoint, a lot of projects. And it's, it's actually very artificial and customer acquisition costs are really high. Um, and I think Solana is organic, way more organic, right? Like the counter argument of what you just said, which is look, the, call it what it is. I don't think any, any project has had like a, you could always poke holes at the distribution. Now, we all know there are limitations as to how you can raise capital and get bootstrapped in crypto. Unless you're friend tech, you at some point will go down the VC route. And and that implies that VCs get, you know, some allocation. And people might look to that and say, hey, that's that's really high. It has lockups, it has all the things. And look, Solana had to go through that. I mean, it, it was just the nature it is the nature of the regulatory environment. Um the coins are fairly distributed. The Nakamoto consensus is higher. It's actually pretty high. Um, and so when you look at it from a decentralization standpoint, it's come a long way. And I think people don't appreciate that. Um, if it has all this said differently, like, yeah, look, the distribution wasn't perfect. People criticize it. It's a VC coin. I actually, I actually think that those arguments are, while they're factually correct, they also dismiss the fact that so did Ethereum at one point. So did Bitcoin at one point. It was fairly concentrated. Like, guys, like, this is just the nature of the game. But I do think that if you look at the interest now, given everything that's going on, it's actually organic. It's not acquired. It's not, you know, hey, let me give you a $20 million token grant. Come and deploy in our competing L1 of choice or L2. So that to me is a very good barometer of there is 
a lot of developers that might say, hey, you know, I, I met two kinds of developers. One, the first built in Ethereum, then went to Solana or built in another uh, chain and then went to Solana and said, hey, you know, there's actually certain things that are possible here that are just not in other environments because it's just really high, like low fee kind of um, uh, and the benefits of that. You could argue L2s on the margin, sure. Um, and then the other ones that are just, it's their first time building and the tooling has gotten much better and the like developer resources has come, has, has come a long way. It's actually very easy to get on board in Solana and, and start building, which is something that the Solana Foundation has, has really put a, a lot of uh, emphasis on, which I think is is very important. You know, one one good example here, like the thing that I'm struggling with is there are so many different ways to build on Ethereum. Is it too confusing? And are developers eventually just going to say, fuck it, I want to build on Solana, it's easier? I think that's basically kind of my thesis in, in a nutshell for a little bit for Solana. But one good example of this, like Ryan and Santi, that's helpful is Helium, right? Helium had their own chain from the ground up. Like it was very confusing. It was very distracting from their core mission of building out IoT and 5G and stuff like that. And one day they just said, hey, let's pivot to Solana. And I think they were probably one of the biggest NFT mints ever, right? Like every IoT device, every 5G device now has their own NFT for it. Um, and I think things went pretty smoothly. I mean, granted, they probably both sides put a ton of resources into it, but kind of demonstrates like a an app chain going to Solana for ease. That was certainly the best merger that we've seen in the space. Obviously, probably the highest profile one, but but also the best executed one. And that's that would be an interesting thing. If Solana used its business development activities to focus on doing mergers and use and sort of made some some capital deployments to bring over really compelling ecosystems to you know, in to kind of be part of the Solana chain instead of running their own L1 or L2 or or their own resource layer of, of some kind. Um, that would be a, a a moment where I would certainly get very excited. Uh, you you, I feel like another thing that that could get an outsider in after the after the sort of clarity that the the Alameda allocation has kind of washed through the market. You know, you guys have have, have demonstrated the number of times we talked about it last time, and 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 you've sent some uh, some data on this that actually the market's holding up really well against the the Alameda uh, buying, which supports your argument that actually Solana, you know, the community of Solana is showing up every day right now and buying from the FTX sellers, which. You know, got to tip my hat to. That's that's there. A thing that I suppose I'm missing in this moment is a genuinely unique uh, application or experience or primitive that that is enabled by Solana. So, like a lot of it feels like, oh, we're the you know we're the X of Ethereum, but on Solana. Um, and it's like, well, okay, what is like new? You know, is there an amazing like experience game that has gotten traction or gotten users? Is there an awesome DeFi experience uh, or DeFi cool that you know is is producing some compelling new DeFi primitive? I'm I'm not sure if I've seen that. And until we get that it's still going to be in the ETH killer category and not emerge as one of its own as a legitimate like top three blue chip. Do you, are you guys seeing that though? Like what, what, what for you is the thing that is like the killer app on Solana that's going to bring, you know, the next million people uh, to the table? So I actually was recently talking to a founder here um, in Solana and um, there's this project called Drip House. And what they do is free NFTs. And basically, like, um, you subscribe to all these artists uh, or projects that will drip you every day, you know, part of the collection. They just, you know, it's kind of like a random lottery. It's kind of fun, right? Uh, like opening up, like, uh, I guess, like, those, like, Pagani cards. Like, 
Um, and the founder very succinctly said, look, it was just not possible to do it even in an L2 environment. It would have cost us like an order of magnitude or two, just gas fees alone. And that just kills a project in and of itself. Whereas in Solana, the it's just radically cheaper to do this type of project. And so just then and there, uh, and Drip has done, I think, uh, volume-wise, it's like, it's got a ton of traction. I don't want to spit out numbers here uh, out of my ass, but I think something like that is an example of a team saying, being acutely aware that, hey, it's actually pretty cool. We want to do this. We can't do it in L2. We can't do it in certainly in L1, Ethereum. We need to do it in Solana. And can that change? Sure, over time, maybe gas, you know, optimizations and whatnot, but... Um, I think really the consumer and gaming aspect of uh, of is 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 fairly well suited for Solana. Um, I think you've seen some interesting NFT projects like appreciate that. Uh, micropayments is an area that I'm really excited about. Like just payments in general, I think is one area that is just prime for explosion. Just just stable coins and and it, it will happen. Merchant adoption and whatnot, and. I think a, a Circle has certainly like lent its credibility and put its weight behind deploying in Solana and, and being active there. It has done so in other ecosystems as well. So hey, look, you know. But still, I, I think um, I think it's really in every L ecosystem. But these use cases are emerging, and I think when you think about things that have been prohibitively expensive in an L one and even in an L two environment, because I think uh, in your mind when you we're used to seeing like paying uh, thousands and thousands like per transaction in an L1 at the peak of DeFi summer. You were yield farming. And so, you, and then you say, oh, the anchoring is so high that when you go to an L2, it seems like it's, it's a huge improvement. And it is. But for someone new coming in, an L2 is still expensive. Yeah, for sure. And for all, and it, 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 it it like margins off a whole segment of use cases and users that will not pay even a dollar for us. It's like, wow, I'm used to paying 20, 30, hundred thousand have seen all kinds of gas fees, but, uh, in Solana, it's just, uh, it's radically cheaper and, and that matters for uh, a lot of projects and, and, and users. I think by the good thing is I think by next episode or next recording breakpoint will have happened already. So I think we can all kind of see what projects come out of there, what's interesting and what isn't, and we can yeah. kind of talk about it too. Let's switch gears to another project that, Tommy, you've been been following really closely. Why don't you walk us through uh, kind of the latest and greatest with Ton and Telegram? Yeah, sure. Um, maybe a bit of a teaser as we end the episode for, for next week's convo, but been diving into the Ton blockchain, which is... I guess legally separate from Telegram, the the service we all use and love. Um, at Token twenty forty nine, a, a big conference, uh, the Ton blockchain announced an exclusive partnership with Telegram. Kind of got me interested in uh, in looking at Ton again. And one of the a couple of the interesting things is that Telegram, the app, plans to exclusively use the Ton blockchain. But more interestingly, I think it's November first. Um, Everybody in Telegram will have a wallet by default in the app, excluding the US. So it's an opt-out wallet, which means it's in the app for everyone, ready to go. Um, if you do at wallet in your search bar and you're not in the US, you could actually use it right now. Um, they'll have uh, staking through Ton Stakers and Bebo and others. Um, and even better, they'll have a full app store in Telegram that you can use crypto apps with linked to the native wallet. Um, so the idea that Telegram could sort of win Web3 if the wallet at App Store works out uh, to 800 million users around the world, minus the US portion, which I, which I don't know what that portion is, I think shouldn't be understated, right? Because every L1 we all look at outside of Coinbase's base and maybe you know Telegram here doesn't have the distribution that Telegram has. So it's a huge differentiating factor. Um, on the flip side, uh, information around the Ton blockchain is extremely slim. Data analytics, how the blockchains run, uh, the token distribution is 
kind of hard for me to pin down right now because they had a, a unique release after the SEC settlement. Um, and it's a little janky because I think you can only really use a couple assets on Tron, like uh, Tron USDT and stuff like that. So it's a little early on. But look, the distribution is interesting. So diving back into it and seeing seeing what's around. But interested if you guys have, have heard anything or if, or if we should leave it so at that. The, the big question that I asked myself and I asked you to this, I see this is at 10 billion, have I missed it? And given the nebulous nature in a world that is supposed to be, you know, transparent and, uh, and forthright, especially in, in, in incipient moments, um, the nebulous nature of the token distribution and even, you know, let's, let's be serious. We can assume that it's proof of authority chain. Um, it clearly is proof of authority chain. Uh, it, like, does that turn a threshold of people off such that, you know, how much upside does it have from here at 10 billion fully diluted? Yeah, I asked a very smart person their view and, and they had the same view you have on the nebulous nature of it. I, I think it's a really, really good question. Um, Honestly, not sure yet, right? I need to dig in and, and figure out how the blockchain works. But I think CoinMarketCap and CoinGecko have the wrong FDV for Telegram for what it's worth. Um, I think the total supply is overstated, and but I need to confirm that. And there's a lot of tokens that are locked up. So like the Ton Believers mm -hmm. Fund has $3 billion worth of Ton um, that's locked up for, God, I think it's a couple of years. Uh, I think it's two years and then something like that, or maybe more. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I go back to um, the one of the two episodes ago, we were talking about fully diluted and circulating, and we, we ought to look at the distribution curve and the anchor holders. Same as, this also reminds me of WorldCoin, you know, like super high FTV, where, like, I, I agree, Ryan, for me, it's like how much upside? Because I, I need to get at least a, as an early stage investor, the opportunity cost, especially in this market where I can get stuff at 10 million fully diluted, even liquid stuff, like it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over to a $10 billion project. How much upside does it have? Um, but I also, I'm thinking acutely of what you just said, which is in a world where Ethereum doubles, triples from here, does a 5X, what, what other assets do? And, you know, not just purely speculation, but also I, I am looking for who has the best distribution. Time and time again, I think you will win. As more consumer applications get built, I think whoever has not just the best tech, I think the tech here is overstated. Like like in an open source context, I think you can you can fork a lot of it and the moats are um, less. So they're there, but you, you can fork stuff. Uh, if the team is technically competent, I think it, it will be able to fork whatever works. And so I'm looking more for who has the best distribution. And that's why I bring up WorldCoin and um, not so much WorldCoin. I think they, it's a huge effort, but Telegram has massive distribution to blink like, like Coinbase, but even better. And I think it can do a lot of really interesting things. We have to get like for the next big win, we have to get a new cohort of people into the space. And this feels like as good a avenue as as any um you know i'm hopeful that the the etfs will be an avenue towards another million people primarily being you know family offices and and wealth management clients onboarding into the space but you know uh ton has massive global or, or telegram has massive global distribution and if it's this i'll take it you know i'll i'll i'll, I'll take any anything that onboards millions of people. Great. Um, before I'm going to get serious about it as a, as an asset, I want clarity on things like inflation, you know, distribution of ownership and Gini coefficient, um, the consensus mechanism, uh, roadmap, uh, the, these types of things. And, you know, maybe they're holding back, uh, from being, double or triple this this FTV if if they could whatever it is whether it's you know six or or, or ten obviously that there's debate there um 
you know, I would think that they would improve their prospects by being honest about that in this moment. Uh, and that would be the best thing to, to onboard the developers. Um, they're gonna well, be. let's end it there. Next episode, we could chat what we saw from Breakpoint Solana-wise. We could chat findings on Telegram and uh, any other major topics we have for next next recording. Awesome, guys. Beautiful. Thanks, Thanks. so much, guys. Cool. Cheers. Talk soon, guys. Cheers. Cheers.